0: Has anyone ever woke up uh, in the middle of the night and got up out of bed and tripped over something? Yeah? Well, a little bit of insight uh, onto the horror that is daylight savings time for anyone who's a parent with young children. Um, Last night in the middle of the night, woke up, got out of the bed, and I tripped over the dog laying right in the middle of the floor. And I thought, you know, this is really, it's pretty illustrative of what life without Jesus looks like, that we can't see anything, that we end up tripping over everything in in our path. And when we gather for worship, what God is doing is he is orienting us. He is orienting us to the reality that Jesus is light. And he shines in the darkness, and he makes our paths straight. So when we gather for worship, that is what is happening. God is orienting us with the light of our Savior, Jesus. Hear this. This is from Isaiah 61 and also from the book of 2 Corinthians. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon us. Our God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's stand and worship our gracious God. If you have a copy of the scriptures with you this morning, if you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at Ephesians 5 this morning. I think it's a little further back than normal. that's more like it. That's my comfort zone right there. Um, Just close enough to you. Um, And as you're turning there, it's also in your bulletin, and it should be on the screen behind you. Um, Remember that uh, this year, uh, as a church, we're thinking about what does it mean for us to pursue our first love. Uh, We're thinking about pursuing our first love together. And in the book of Ephesians, uh, what we looked at last week is Paul has been developing this process by which um, pursuing our first love happens, like what that looks life like. And if you remember last week, Dave talked about the, these ideas of putting off the old self, uh, putting on the new self by being renewed by the Spirit, that this work of the Spirit that, that the Holy Spirit is doing in us. Um, and this morning in Ephesians five, Paul is kind of he's going to develop those ideas uh, even a little bit more. Um, and so I'm going to look at the we're going to look at the first fourteen verses um, of this section. The section as a whole is really through verse twenty one, but we're going to focus our time on uh, the first fourteen verses. And Dave is going to come back uh, next week and get fifteen through twenty one, and you'll probably see him dip back into these verses as well too. But Beloved, this is Ephesians 5, uh, verses 1 through 14. Um, This is God's expression of his love for us. As we read these words, know that you have a God who wants to be with you. That you have a God who knows everything about you and has loved you in Jesus. So hear this. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Uh, Let's pray together and ask the Lord to help us understand His word this morning. Father, we uh, read Your word, um, and we are struck by how deep it is and and how much it it penetrates uh, our hearts. Um, And, Lord, At times that can be a scary feeling, Uh, but we also know in your word too that you tell us that you long to be with us and you want to be with us. And so this morning, would you show us how beautiful our Savior is? Would you show us how our Jesus has paved the way uh, for us to be made right with you? Holy Spirit, would you work in us to put off our sin, and to put on the righteousness that belongs to us in Jesus. All of this, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, by your good and gracious hand to us, and we pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Uh, before we get uh, looking at our text this morning, I want to ask you a question. I want, I want you to entertain a question with me. Um, and here's the question, what, when you think about the good life, what do you think about? What is the good life? Now, I have a few kind of ideas in, in my own head. Um, for some of us, uh, the good life, uh, I think about all of, our, all of our, our new moms and dads who have little bitty ones. For some of us, the good life might be more than two hours in a row of sleep. Um, it's real. The struggle is real. Um, uh, for some of us here, the good life might be uh, financial security. Um, that I have all of the money to get all of my ducks in, in a row. Uh, for some of us, it might be um, I have the ability to go and to, to purchase that beach house. Uh, that we have always wanted. Uh, for some of you here, the good life might just be like silence. Like if, if I could cancel out all of the voices around me and all of the noise around me, like that, that is the good life. Um, for some here, the good life might be uh, constant improvement. Things are just always getting better. That the older that I get, the more control I get over my life. I get to do what I want, when I want, and nobody gets in the way of that. Or for some of us here, the good life might be faster is always better. I think that that's one of the maxims that our culture is trying to impose on us, that faster is always better. Think about it. Uh, Food is getting faster to get to. Um, We are making dishwashers that wash our dishes faster. Uh, We want our promotions to happen at work at a a faster rate. We always want faster internet. Um, And think about our phones. You have not had a new phone in the last 10 years that wasn't faster than the one before it. Uh, Faster is always better. Now hear this, none of these things are bad in and within themselves, okay? Like, I I don't want any, you know, new mom here to, to think, well, John Paul said that my desire for more than two hours of sleep a night is bad. No, none of these things are bad in and within themselves. But what the Apostle Paul is showing us here today in Ephesians 5 is that there's something that is deeper and wider and bigger that situates and orients us to what the good life is all about. And he says it right at the very beginning in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. The Apostle Paul is telling us that what the good life looks like is imitating God. And he's even taking us back to the very beginning of everything. Because if we think about Adam and Eve, they were created to bear God's image in his world, to literally imitate God in the world that God had made. And Paul is saying that that is the good life. And he's saying that's what life is all about. And he's saying that's what it's always actually been about. And he's, and he's showing us today that in order for us to sort of wrap our, our, our minds around this and our hearts around this and understand what the good life means, Paul develops two contrasting ideas for us uh, here in these 14 verses. And this is your outline in your, uh, in your bulletin. And those two contrasting ideas, first is uh, these contrasting ideas, self-centered and thankful, and then darkness and light. And the way he's further developing this process is through the same idea that Dave introduced last week of putting off and putting on by being renewed uh, by the Holy Spirit. So let's think about self-centered together. You see, Paul lays out for us in verses three through six what the self-centered life looks like. He says that the self-centered life is a life of one that is engaging in sexual immorality, in all impurity, in covetousness, uh, engaging in crass and careless speech, engaging in... Uh, unintentional and self-centered listening, uh, Paul is showing us what the self-centered life looks like, and he's saying these things are not characteristic of imitating God. These things are not the way that we were made to be. And here's what's true, is that all of these things are actually connected together. They're not separate from one another. They are connected together because what Paul is really doing is he is getting at this truth, that sin affects every piece and part of us. Sin affects how we speak, it affects how we look at others, it affects how we hear things, it affects how we act, it even affects our desires deep in our hearts. That's what he's getting at with the idea of covetousness. And what he's doing is Paul is relating all of this under sexual sin. That's what he's doing. Paul is saying, put off engaging in an adulterous life. Put off, uh, put off thinking about engaging in an adulterous life. Put off talking about engaging in an adulterous life. Put off the desires of your heart to want to engage in an adulterous life. And he's saying that we should even put off hearing about that, hearing about an adulterous life in such a way that we are deceived by the empty promises that a self-centered, adulterous life will actually fulfill you. He's saying, put all those things off. And, in, and then he even goes further. And he says, and certainly don't become partners with those who are going to lead you in that direction. If you look back at verse 7. In verse 5, he says, these things, they have no place in the kingdom of Christ in God. Now, in order to really get underneath all of this, I think we need to slow down and think about the people and the place that Paul writes these words to. If we were to go back and look in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 19, where, uh, where we began this series and began talking about church planting in Ephesus many, many weeks ago... If we were to go back and look at Acts chapter 19, we see the Apostle Paul encounter this guy named Demetrius, and Demetrius grabs Paul, and he brings him to the center of the city of Ephesus to bring him up on charges, because the message of Jesus was absolutely threatening the sex industry in Ephesus. Absolutely. Do you remember the chorus that the people were singing as Paul was being brought to the city center? Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The temple to Artemis, also known as the temple Diana to Diana, was a temple to a sex goddess of Ephesus. And it was actually one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Ephesus was an incredibly sexually broken culture. And we live in an incredibly sexually broken culture. If we slow down to think about it, it's, it is so sad. It's so sad. We live in a world that says that I can divide my body and my heart. And I can do what I want to do with my body and it won't affect my heart. We live in the culture of friends with benefits, the culture of Netflix and chill. We live in a hookup culture. We live in a culture where divorce abounds just as much in the church as outside of the church. It is sad to think that we live in a place where intimacy without commitment is absolutely championed where we keep trying over and over and over to experience the intimacy of sex without the undergirding of marriage. Without the place where God intended for that gift to be with husband and wife. And that is devastating. It's devastating. And the truth is, Sex is actually treated as anything other than intimacy in the culture that we live in. In our context, sex is often used as as a weapon or it's treated as a commodity. It's a weapon. If I'm mad at you, then I'll withhold it and you don't get any. If I want something from you, then I'll give it to you. It's a weapon. If I want to embarrass someone, then I joke about their sexuality. Multiple research centers across the board, whether they are backed by money from one party or another, tell us that one in four Girls is sexually abused before she's 18. And that one in six boys is sexually abused before the age of 18. Beloved, this should make us weep. We should be so broken and sad. We live in a culture that turns that weapon into a commodity, into something to be bought and sold. The sex industry in the US alone makes around $14 billion a year. The endowment at East Carolina University is $745 million a year. Put that in a little bit of perspective. The National Football League last year made $8 billion. The sex industry in America made almost twice as much as the National Football League last year. To say that sex sells is an understatement. And what what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that in Jesus, the eyes of self centered sexuality are changed. Sex moves from a weapon and a commodity to a gift to be cherished and stewarded in marriage the way that it was always meant to be. In Jesus, we realize that our sexuality is a reflection of the intimacy that we get to share as God's people with our savior. In Christ, we find healing in the places where sex has been used as a weapon against us. And in Jesus, we find forgiveness where we've used it as a weapon against others. In Jesus, our, our view of sexuality and sex is absolutely changed. It's no longer a weapon or a commodity. It's a gift. It's something to be cherished and stewarded. And, it, and Jesus always points us outside of ourselves to that reality. But you know, the Apostle Paul is even getting at layers here. He's tapping into something with sexual intimacy, but he's actually even going deeper. But you see, because the message of Jesus threatened everything that the Ephesians thought was the good life. Because if you'll remember, not only did the people of Ephesus engage in a sexually broken lifestyle, but it was their means of commerce. It was the way that they made money. That's why Paul is being brought up on charges by Demetrius and the craft guild. Because the message of Jesus has come into Ephesus so strong that they can't sell their little idols of Artemis anymore. They can't make money anymore. And certainly there is pride about Artemis in Ephesus. Because remember the chorus, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And we're also like Ephesus in this regard too, because we all have things that are a source of pride for us that are a source of livelihood for us that are ways in which we think about the good life apart from God now we might be sitting here and think you know thinking to ourselves well I don't I don't buy into this whole sexually broken culture that we have here in the US but here's what's true there is not a single one of us in this room that has not had an impure thought. There's not a single one of us in this room that hasn't taken part in, in, in some sort of joke that has demeaned God's intended gift of sexuality to us. And what's certainly true is that we're all in here struggling with pride. We're all in here struggling with finding our life purpose apart from God. Whether that's in the approval of others whether that's in our work, whether that's in in, in being the best parents we can be or in being the best students that we can be, we're all in one way or another relying on self. And Paul points us to this message. Jesus threatens all of these things. And he's saying, put off your self-centered life and put on something else. Put on thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Look back at verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Now, at first glance, it might seem odd to have thanksgiving as the opposite of self-centeredness. But if we think about it, the idea of being thankful uh, inherently points us to something outside of ourselves. It assumes that something outside of self has touched us and has changed us in a very real and tangible way. It's the recognition of God's generosity toward us. It's the recognition that you and I are not the center of the world. And the Holy Spirit renews us by pointing us right back To verse 2, that Christ loved us, that he gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That grace, that self-sacrificial love pushes us to see, to think about, to speak about, to hear of others as those who bear God's image in his world, not as objects of our self-gratification, and it also pushes us to thanksgiving because we begin to see all of the places in our lives where we are just trying to live for self. And Where we're just trying to do everything for ourselves and we realize that we are doing nothing but relying on number one and looking out for number one. And the Holy Spirit works thankfulness into us. Makes us see that everything that we have has come from God That everything is gift. Everything is of God's grace to us through his incorruptible love in Jesus. And he's saying, walk in that love. Be imitators of your gracious God. Put off self-centeredness. Put on thanksgiving for what Jesus has done. realize that the Spirit is doing that work in you. And the second idea that Paul uses, a contrasting idea to give us to think about what it means to imitate God, is the idea of darkness and of light. Look back at verses 8 through 10 with me. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You see... Paul really kind of doubles down on the reality that sin affects every piece and part of us here because he says, you were darkness. Kind of like last week when when Dave talked about the church at Ephesus learning Christ, not learning about Christ, not learning of Christ, but learning Jesus, who Jesus was. Paul is saying to us here, you were darkness. Not that you knew about darkness, but that you were darkness. Darkness And what he's saying, it's a statement of being. And he's saying that you were absolutely consumed with self. Thinking of nothing and no one but self. And Paul says, continue to put that off. Continue to put that off. Verse 11, he says, take no part in the unfruitful works of Darkness. Now, let me be clear here. When he's talking about darkness, he's talking about our self-centered, sinful nature. And he's giving us another image to think about the self-centered life, that it's darkness. Now, let's slow down and think about darkness for just a moment, team. Because every night when uh, Carrie and I put our children down to bed, uh, we have one child who wants to make sure every single night that the the door to their room is is open because they don't want to be in darkness. Because darkness means alone. Darkness means scared. Darkness means unprotected. Darkness makes us wonder if we're going to be okay. Okay if everything is going to be all right. And what Paul is saying here is that that's exactly what sin does to us. Sin leaves us feeling alone, feeling unprotected, feeling like nobody will want to be with us, feeling scared that things will not be okay if we are left here. And Paul's saying Put the darkness of sexual brokenness. Put the darkness of pride. Put the darkness of self-sufficiency off. And instead, put on light. Put on light. Paul follows up, you were darkness with, but now you are light in the Lord. Put on what is true about who you are. Again, Paul uses this statement of being, not that you know about light, not that you know what light is, but that you are light. We have been brought out of self-centered, sinful, lonely darkness and into the light of Jesus. Look at verse 14 in Paul's plea, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You see, with that verse, Paul is actually tapping back into what he introduced in Ephesians 2. That we are a people who were dead in our sins and in our trespasses. But now we have been made alive in Jesus. And verse 14 is stating the same thing just through the lens of light. The light of Jesus brings us life. That's who we are. Tap into who you are in Jesus. You know, it's interesting about this, th- this verse right here, verse 14, because you notice that it's kind of set apart as poetry a little bit. Every commentator that, that, that I read about this verse uh, had this take on what verse 14, what was happening there, is that in part it was, uh, it was uh, taking on the idea and quoting uh, Isaiah 61.1, which we read during our call to worship. that the the Lord is upon us, that it was drawing from that idea and then coupled with that, that the rest of these words were probably words that were written at and for the church at Ephesus. This would have been a part of a hymn that they sang in worship. Paul's giving us a glimpse into how this process of putting off And putting on and being renewed by the Spirit is actually happening. Because the Apostle Paul is saying, look, every time that you gather together and worship with one another, and you sing praises, and you hear God call you to worship, and you confess your sin, and you confess your faith, and you sit under the word preached, and you come to the table, that is the Spirit renewing you to put off the old self. And to put on who you are in Jesus. Paul is highlighting the reality that we're not just here being consumers of something, but that there is actually something that is happening to us and in us and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit, even as we sit here together this morning. Do we realize what the Apostle Paul is doing here with the church at Ephesus? He's saying, Look, you once sang the chorus of Great is Artemis of the Ephesians, but you've put off that chorus, that darkness. You've put on the light of Jesus. Awake, O sleeper. Rise from the dead. The light of Christ will shine on you. That's your song now. That's the song that you sing. Don't go back. And to drive this home even deeper, Paul is telling us that what is happening to us here as we gather for worship is that the darkness is being worked out of us, and Christ's light is shining through and in more and more and more, the the Spirit renewing us. And do all of this, why? Because you're light, because that's who you are. You've been changed by the renewing of the Spirit. You're united to Jesus. And just like Dave said last week, we never encounter Jesus and walk away unchanged. Never. And Paul is even, even, even driving a, a deeper layer to this as well here and, and deepening our understanding of Jesus changing us because he's saying that we are so united to Jesus that we are light. Which means that we encounter Jesus every moment of every day. Which means that there is not one single thing, not one single second, not one single opportunity that Jesus is not using to change us. Because we are constantly being renewed by the Spirit, by the shedding of the light of Christ on us. He's always changing us with his fragrant offering with his self-sacrificial love and making us imitators of God. You see, it's true. Sin affects every piece and part of us. But do we believe that when we're joined to Christ that all of those, every piece and part of us that are affected by sin are absolutely abolished in the blood of Christ? The blood of Jesus affects every piece and part of us. There is nothing of us and nothing of our lives that Christ does not work in and through and affect us. And the way that this happens, the Apostle Paul says, is by exposure. Look at verse 13. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Now, I don't know about you, but I hear the word exposure and fear just starts creeping up, like from my toes. Because I think to myself, if I'm exposed, no one's ever going to want to be with me. My immediate reaction is that exposure means Darkness and loneliness and aloneness and unprotected and laid bare because everyone would know every impure thought, everyone would know every careless word, every time that I told a dehumanizing, crude joke. And there's no way that anyone would want to be with me. No way. No way anyone would want to be with me and to sit with me and bring me out of the darkness of my soul. And the Apostle Paul here responds to all of those voices that are so loud in our heads and he says, Not Jesus. Not Jesus. See, Jesus knows every single one of those thoughts, He knows all of our actions. He knows every word, and he says, I love you anyways. I've offered myself in place of your self-centered darkness and become that for you, that you might be brought into the light. In Jesus, exposure means life, that we are fully known and that we're fully loved that we're more sinful than we would ever imagine and more loved in Jesus than we would ever dare to dream. That, beloved, is freedom. Freedom from that which destroys us, from sexual sin, from pride, from self-righteousness. You name it, put it in the blank. And Paul is saying that we are exposed by the light of grace. So by the power of the Spirit, Put off self-centered darkness. Put on the light of Christ, which makes us a thankful people. You see, because in Jesus, we are being recreated to be who we were meant to be. Imitators of God. And he's given us brothers and sisters to do that together. To help each other. To have people in our lives, um, we talked about this in my Sunday school class this morning, who refuse to let us get away with being anything other than what God has created us to be. To have people in our lives to, to show us the dark places in our hearts and to show us where Christ is shining his light into the midst of all of that. Like we're not in this alone. We are together in this, united in Jesus. That's what his church is. And just to drive this home, think with me for a minute about the guy who's writing these words. You see, the Apostle Paul, he grew up in a synagogue called the Synagogue of the Freedmen. And there was somebody else that we encounter in the book of Acts who also grew up in that synagogue. It was a man named Stephen. Uh, And Stephen would have been a a peer of the Apostle Paul, uh, would probably have been friends with the Apostle Paul. So Paul would have watched uh, Stephen change. Paul would have seen the effect of the light of Christ shining in Stephen's heart and in his life change him into someone totally different than who he was before. And in response to that, as the rest of Stephen's peers and his friends that he grew up in the synagogue of the freedmen with gathered him together and brought him to the center of the council and started gathering up their stones to throw at him, to kill him, the Apostle Paul held their jackets. He would have watched. He was there. And then, and then in response to that, what does he go and do? He goes to pursue people who are preaching and teaching and sharing the same message that Stephen was preaching and teaching and sharing, that Jesus has defeated death and darkness And he brings light into our darkness and he exposes our deep need for a Savior who offers himself for every piece and part of who we are and changes us and gives us his thankful, light-filled life instead. Paul went about arresting those people to put them in jail so that they would be put to death. Then Jesus, Jesus literally came to the Apostle Paul, shining in the brightest thing that Paul had ever seen. He entered into this murderous, prideful man's heart, exposed Paul's life of self-centered, self-righteousness, the core of where he was finding his livelihood Everything that the Apostle Paul thought meant the good life. Jesus exposed him and he offered him forgiveness. And he offered him grace. He offered him himself in his place, in his stead. Paul encountered Jesus and everything changed. And not a day went by that Jesus wasn't changing something about the Apostle Paul. That Paul wasn't being changed to put off the old self-centeredness, the old darkness, to put on the light of Christ and the thankfulness that he gives us because of his generosity. All of that by being renewed by the Holy Spirit. So much so... That the Apostle Paul became the very people he was persecuting and sending to jail. And don't forget, he writes these words from a prison cell. He ended up in the very place that he was trying to get these followers of Christ into. And you know what he says about himself? I'm a prisoner for Christ. I'm a prisoner for Christ. Walking in love, imitating his Savior because Jesus is constantly pursuing and changing him to put off self and to put on who he is, a beloved child of God through Jesus. If you're here this morning and you think that there's no hope, let me tell you, if Jesus can change a man like the Apostle Paul He can change anyone. That is absolutely true. And it will free you from self-centered darkness and into Christ's marvelous light. So, awake, O sleeper. Rise from the dead. The light of Christ is shining on us. That's our song. We get to come to the table and experience this together. See, what's happening when we are coming to the table is we are being renewed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working in us to proclaim that Jesus has become our sin and our self-centered darkness, and he has given us himself in place of that. And that we are light in Christ We also are being worked on by the Holy Spirit to celebrate, too, that Jesus isn't finished, that he's continuing to work, that he is renewing us through the Holy Spirit to put off the old self and to put on thanksgiving, that we are united to Jesus in every moment of every day, we encounter God's grace as he changes us and he makes us imitators of the one who made us. And he's making us into who we were meant to be. On the night...